Hello, this is Real History with Melissa, and it is March the 2nd already, and today I am joined by Joe from Niagara Falls, Canada. Hi, Joe. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Uh, We're doing good here. Good. Just surviving. Good. So, do we want to dive in a little bit and and talk about, I mean, one of the things that is interesting to me is that your parents both went to Canada from other far distant places in the world and met each other there, so... So my dad was born in uh, Bahrain, and then when he was two years old, he has, uh, his parents brought him over to Canada, and they had a lot of family over here already. And he had three older brothers uh, who were all from around Pakistan and stuff where they were born, but they all grew up in Toronto on basically the streets of Toronto, dirt poor, with a single mother uh, who basically couldn't couldn't even cook that well and, you know... So they had to raise themselves and learn to fend for themselves pretty quickly. Um, down, it was probably in the 80s and that one, 70s and 80s when they were growing up. And then my mom came when she was an adult. She came as a midwife from the Philippines mm. and uh, eventually made it to Toronto. And that's where she met my dad. And he had finished school and everything and he was doing well. And he met this girl and they hit it off. And he was, you know, sold on the dream like, yeah, so they got married after just a year, short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the marriage fell apart pretty quickly after that. Uh, after, so she had two kids, my older brother and myself, and it didn't really work out happily ever after. It was a long, drawn out divorce and not very nice. You, um, you also mentioned to me a while back that your father was struck by polio. Yeah. So that's actually kind of the, their ticket into the country. It was that they needed medical treatment for him. My grandpa and grandma, they, they weren't very smart people. Like they were kind of ignorant. And they, her excuse was, well, we had servants to do that for us back in the old country. <laughs> and uh, Grandpa Joe, he was he was a partier. He just had fun. So, uh so they went out to a party and put my dad in a crib with um, with another girl who was sick, a little baby who was sick, and she was covered in feces. She probably wasn't changed or whatever, dirty diaper. And so they left him in there all night and then came and got him after. And he kind of thinks that's where he picked it up from. Mm-hmm. You know, He used to think before that it was because they weren't vaccinated against polio. Mm-hmm. Um but eventually he kind of caught on that. No, it wasn't that. It was probably this one event where he was sick and he got fecal matter from another sick baby who probably had it in his mouth and everything mm-hmm. when he was so young and he had no immunity to it. His, none of his brothers got it. They weren't vaccinated either. Mm-hmm. But that was sort of the difference. And yeah. But you thought that having to overcome that really had a formative, a shaping effect on your father that he, he always worked really hard and. Yeah. I mean, he had to like, if you've seen the more, the movie Forrest Gump and the kids got, he's crippled, right? And, and they kind of just, they're inconsiderate of his disability and they like, well, you have to 
learn to get along and, and act like everybody else, even though you're different. So he's always been really different. He hasn't, he's been, doesn't have use of one arm and one leg, basically. And so he's always had to learn to be different and he never fit in with any group. So he's always had to grow long roots in order to not go crazy or kill himself or something, you know, and get this far to get through school and get a job and have a house and live through a, a hellish divorce. So he's um, learned to, to be very self-sufficient mentally. And, you know, people seeing that other people are different, they're often critical. Like even his brothers and stuff would tease him like, oh, you're a tinfoil hatter and stuff because he's, he's different. He's always listened to different sources of information and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's where he actually heard about Alan Watt. Uh, was, it was through a cannabis forum because he has medical for for the can for polio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was around 2007. And discovered Alan's talks. Yeah, it was kind of crazy because it was like the whole Rick Simpson movement and everything, and people saying, uh, "Oh my gosh, you have to listen to this guy. He he knows so much information, and he's like a real truther, hardcore." Because a lot of the, in those days when it was illegal to have cannabis and that, and it was totally like government repression, you're not allowed to use this medicine to help yourself and heal yourself. It's illegal. You have to use pharmaceuticals and opiates, which do far more damage and, and, and change your brain chemistry for the worse. Well, it would be helpful just to get an idea for listeners of who you, a little bit more of who you are, if we all knew how old you were in 2007 when your father was questioning things even more deeply. Yeah, back then when I was, I would have been, I don't know, preteen age, uh, 2007. What is that? Fourteen years ago? Fourteen? Yeah, twelve. So you were twelve. Yeah, around twelve. And he would, uh, yeah. And we we had a nice little backyard there and grew cannabis and stuff. These big, beautiful plants. And I remember it was the most, the coolest thing in the world. Helping him in the garden. I'd always loved the garden back then. So, yeah, I'm 26 now. I would have been 13, 12, like 12, 13 back then. And yeah, I just, like, I listened to him. He would go, he he was different, right? And he would talk at the dinner table. He, I didn't want to stick around. Like, I always wanted to go out and play with my friends after dinner. But, like, and my brother, Philip, he couldn't even handle the talks and stuff because my dad would just be, like, hardcore, like, saying, you know, don't listen to your teachers and stuff, and this is what's bad for you, and this is what's good for you. And, and he wanted to instill that virtue of right and wrong in us and be a good parent like he's always wanted to be like a good parent and a good father mm-hmm. and that was always his um sort of his mission like he had a constitution himself you've described him as a like like a, a rock to you some you have a very deep connection to your father with um with whom you still live yeah, like no matter what, he's always been the realist. Like he's been there for me and um, never asked anything 
of me, but he's always been a really good parent because he's seen how the system can, I mean, you're told to listen to your teachers and stuff. I, I'll give you an example at a teacher, at a parent meeting, they bring all the parents into the gymnasium down at the elementary school and they and the principal gets up, the big fat guy, and he says, we will love your children. And like at that moment, he felt so sick. Like he was just like, no, you leave the loving to us. You're ah. supposed to be the educators. You educate them, give them an education, and that's all. You leave the loving to the parents. What's the matter with you? Like, but not a not a word. Nobody said anything in the whole auditorium or gymnasium. Wow. Um, so that's the kind of person he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout this whole pandemic, too, the last three years, he was uh, instrumental in kind of helping me not get the jab, right? and not get fired at the same time and navigating that because that was one hell of a uh, a journey. <clears throat> I mean, it was really a lot of pressure they were putting on me. You uh, trained at work. You trained at university for a, a really good career, which you are into now and yeah, business, finance. Yeah. Yeah, so in that world you had you had I, I think you told me this was the only job that you had had post-university. Was- yeah. Since university, I've been here for like 10 years, same company. Mm-hmm. I like apprenticed here and stayed here all those years and got my degrees and everything. And they, they were here. They were a good support, good company, good people. Until the jab uh, came along. Yeah, until we all turned on each other, basically. Or, well, they turned on me and... <laughs> But even still, like I, I said, don't. I just wanted to be free of harassment. I didn't want them to violate my bodily autonomy. And I'll do good work for you, and I'll keep working. That's all I wanted was just to work and be free mm-hmm. from from harassment like that. That's all I wanted. And so your father was able to help you hold on to the job, but stand fast uh, with your decision and- not to be vaccinated. Yeah, and he helped coach me and sort of, and he was always there for me. He said, I got your back. Like, if you, you know, he was doing hardcore research. He's always done hardcore research into like, you know, into everything and all news, but, um, he would give me links and supply me with info and, and that was real ammunition to fight back and say, like, these are my rights. These are my medical rights. You have no right to impinge on those and, retroactively change the job contract to, to put in clauses where you have to do this and that. So, yeah, and you never want to burn bridges with people, right? Because here we are today and we all have to get along and work together and things are fragmented enough as it is and destabilized in the economy and everything. So we have to still cooperate regardless of the things that were said and the confrontations and the conflicts in the of the past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all... Now we're here. Yeah. Now we're here. So I was interested during the whole lockdown and scamdemic and so forth, you and your father really got into some interesting projects in the garden and the kitchen. And just the images that you have shared with me over the last couple of years are pretty cool. Uh, I, I love yeah. that you bake together and you grow garlic and not, you don't just grow like, 
a little bit of garlic, you have this major operation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, a few hundred. But uh, the key thing is to grow healthy garlic, and that's what's hard. I think oh, we're seeing a lot of people across Canada and the States with even you, got dry bulb, uh, mm-hmm. their bulb mites, yeah. and they just mummify it. I think it must have, it's almost like the foot and mouth thing with the cows or the avian flu with the birds. Like our food supply is under complete attack, the mm-hmm. blowing up of factories and all of that. And so it's the garlic too. I mean, it's been affected. So the hardest thing now is to keep healthy stock alive and uh, continue the lineage, the genetic lineage of the good varieties, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to source it and procure it. So that's the garlic. You taught me some good things, too, because I was given a, a neighbor. I'd, I don't grow it myself, but someone gave me a lot of garlic, and I just hated to think about it going to waste. And I mentioned it to you, and you said, well, peel it all and then uh, cover, put it in a glass dish, the freezable, and cover it in olive oil and and." Freeze yeah, it. all the different. And, yeah, puree it. Yeah. You said you could puree it and then put it in little ice trays so you'd just have an ice cube of pureed garlic for a recipe. So I got some very helpful hints. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I do. I have a freezer full of uh, garlic right now, thanks to you. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, food security is, the, I mean, survive. It's, it's basic survival. We've had to really go back to because the food supply is under attack you've always had you have to go back to finding ways to stay healthy mm-hmm. physically sustain mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. and uh so sourdough was the next one and i i remember like emailing alan about that and i was like well we've got some healthy projects on the go we've got kombucha and we're doing fermented kefir and sourdough and and we're trading with people and we've got the garlic and everything mm-hmm. um but it's just a, a natural response or reaction to what was going on um with what we were seeing like you you want to do something you want to like build a greenhouse and and have local food security because you never know like we're seeing barricades basically going up at all the grocery stores these uh, iron fences and stuff at the front and they're really? saying it's because of increased theft right oh. oh people are stealing we need to slow them down so we're going to put these barricades in there and well, the next thing you know, maybe the doors won't open if you don't have the right vaccine and whatever. And, and we know where this is headed to right. very quickly. Yeah. So we we took action in a way. Um, yeah, baking took off during the pandemic, but we stuck with it the whole time, and we've only gotten better and better and better, putting out more skillfully prepared things um, and learning. It's a really art, like... To master sourdough bread and bagels and pizzas, but it's so nourishing and sustaining because chemical yeast won't break down the flour that way. The natural yeast does; it predigests it for you, and you can eat the stuff, and you won't gain weight or become diabetic and stuff. Mm. I didn't know that. That's, I mean, it makes sense to me, but I didn't really know that. So. Oh. Interesting. Well, tell me a little bit more about the effect, I guess, that the the lockdown and had on your psyche being separated from your workmates, it, it was just a very, you, you did have this amazing support in your father, but like 
with everyone else who suffered through this, it had a, a lot of damaging effects on your psyche. Yeah. Uh, I know. Like, I only started really getting into Alan in November of 2020. So this was at, well after the pandemic already started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually the first to start working from home back in, like, January. I said, hey, guys, like, uh, there seems to be some deadly virus out there. I think I'm going to just work from home. I know we can work remotely. So I'm going to start doing that. And they were like, what virus? So I was really the first to kick it off. And then everybody got spooked. And then the whole thing blew up in March. And by that time, I'd already realized, don't, this is a big scam. This isn't like a dangerous thing at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they started making us wear masks that summer. And I didn't like that at all. I just instinctively knew, like, this isn't going to do anything. And it's bad for morale, too. It's having a horrible effect on everybody's psyche, and I can see it. And then, like, when the lockdowns and stuff really started happening in the winter, then, you know, like, Christmas time is a depressive time for a lot of people normally. And, yeah, so you turn to all all sorts of things to try and cope. And you also start scrambling to find out what's really going on, and that's how I got into Alan. And because you'd had years of kind of getting it in the background as your father listened, it was a natural place to turn? Or did you have discussions with your father about... Yeah, he put me on to Alan. It was natural. Like, I'd always had a rebellious strain in me, for sure. And we, like, me and my dad would talk about Alan, too. Like, I would tell him, like, what I'm listening to and, and how cool it is and interesting. And... And that, and that was often, and still is the basis for even higher discussions where we, where he gives me his thoughts and opinions on, on the things that I'm listening to and saying. Because he does have, like, that's the thing, you gotta pass down inter, intergenerational knowledge. That's the most important thing in all of this. Like really, all that matters is truth. And trying to keep your head above water and afloat in the meanwhile. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like knowledge and information is the most valuable thing and wise old people there's few and far in between of them and you have to try and take that knowledge when you can and use it too as well so he often sets me straight on things when i'm getting off on a tangent but there's also some things that i can't discuss with him and and that stuff i just have to figure out myself i guess why is it that you can't discuss or wouldn't want to? Uh, I don't know. I, it just it feels like it's too much of a personal nature. Mm-hmm. Mostly just uh, girls and stuff. Like, because I already know what his thoughts are. He had a horrible marriage, and she made his life hell for a long time. I mean, I don't hate her or anything for that. I I still love her, my mom, but. Uh, I mean, you have to be diplomatic in these things and still maintain relationships and try and keep things together. But, yeah, I mean, it's hard to sort of talk to him about. It's hard to find a good girl anyway these days. That's the issue, one of the issues. Well, I could certainly, I mean, if I I look around at 
the girls the way they're presented in the media, then I would say, yeah, that's a no-brainer. It would be hard. <laughs> but Yeah, that's hard to talk about, too. Yeah. Well, there's... So during the pan... Yeah, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. So d- during the pandemic, we were under lockdown. And, uh, well, it's kind of like religion. People are religious. You can take the person out of the religion, but you can't take the religion out of the person. A sex is also a powerful drive in that same way. We're naturally male, female, you know, instinctively. Uh, there, there are those drives. And at that age, when I, it was about 22, 23, when the pandemic was really kicking into gear, the lockdowns and stuff, and you have to work all these hours and you're alone and you don't really have the emotional support. Because uh, before, like, you were working in close quarters with everybody and, you know, you had to pull together as a team. You play, like, hockey with them and uh, it was a real, like, culture, a team culture. But that all kind of got decimated and everybody was left scrambling. So it was just a lot of alone hours working a dark basement because I thought I had to work from home. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so naturally, you have those drives still. You can't get rid of them, and there's nobody around. So you turn to the internet, mm-hmm. and uh, if you're alone to your own devices on the internet, there's a whole bunch of trouble you can get into, as you know. Um, so that's how I kind of got into the cam girl sites, the live thing. So. Yeah, this, this you have explained to me a little bit over the last year or so. And it's like a a struggle with you at at this moment. You feel that you're doing better with it. But so this is, this is live girls streaming. That's what you yeah. got into. Yeah, live girls streaming. And this, so this um, isn't a pre-recorded pornographic movie. No, this is a live movie, not necessarily pornographic, but on a porn site, sure. But you can do other things with them. It, it sort of turns into a virtual companion, right? Because mm-hmm. not everybody's just totally like, sex driven all the time or devious in that way it is a bit devious and it it just had a profound psychological impact on me because i mean my first girlfriends and stuff in high school high school sweetheart it was really nice like we did all the things we were supposed to go to prom and semi-formal and dress up and and she helped me out too because i used to smoke pot in high school and she helped me kick that and get my marks up and get healthy and 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 get into a good university program in that. So in that way, she like a, a girl in my life at a young age was a really positive influence, and she helped me get my act together and uh, and do well, which I probably wouldn't have done to myself, left to my own devices. So it's that social relationship aspect of it which always intrigued me and which which kind of stuck with me, even like because I used to play music. Thank you. 
I still play a bit. And then bands and that, like, I'm sure that was the driving force for a lot of bands in the 60s and stuff. My dad says girls were cooler back then. Like, you want to impress the girl. That's the natural drive for a young guy who's kind of stupid and full of himself. Okay, and don't don't lose disability. your train of thought, but what did you, did your dad ever elaborate when he said the girls were cooler back then? Not really, but I know what uh-huh. he means. Most of my classmates and stuff from elementary school, I could not see them. Like, they didn't, they all got wiped out. I don't think there's one of them left who's really that successful. And the ones that did go into university and that, most of them are lesbians now. Hmm. I think that that may be the purpose of the modern university education. (laughs) In in that way, they were successful. (laughs) Everything is so politically correct. And then political correctness went off the cliff. They went insane during the pandemic and you have to wear a mask and all that. I just wanted to get away from it. Where can I go where Mm -hmm. I can be free? Like the underground speakeasies and Soviet Russia or whatever where they'd all, all the young people go to party. So where did the young people go to party when you're locked down under COVID? The internet. Live internet campsites, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, you've, you've talked to me uh, about something that I really, I just never stopped to think that it was out there or considered it in any fashion. And when you first began to tell me what you had gotten into, I... I felt really bad for you and I felt bad for you because, for a lot of reasons, but one thing that you said when this was, this has been about a year now, maybe a little bit longer that you told me about something that had happened and you, you said what you thought Alan would think. And do you, do you remember that when we spoke? Uh, yeah, that, that I said that Alan would probably be disappointed in me. Yeah. And, you know, that, that made me feel bad because, you know, Alan really understood humanity and, and he certainly understood the system and the way that it is designed with all kinds of traps and tunnels for people to get lost in forever. So... I don't know. I, I don't know if disappointed is the the right word. He would certainly understand these things were put there. I mean, you know, I, I, I was listening to a talk in the relatively still early days of the scamdemic, and Alan was talking about how one business that was certainly booming was internet pornography. Uh, and this had just mm-hmm. been rolled out and made, you know, it was always available, but now it was not only available, but it was normalized in a way that it had not been before, you know. Yeah, just, and I've seen it have a horrible impact on previous, like, people, like, girls and stuff. When I was in my early 20s, yeah, internet porn, they were actually, like, addicted to it and talking about it, too, to me. And saying like, well, it's it's cool, right? And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> you you also told me a few months ago when I asked you about your first exposure to internet pornography, and you told me that you were eight years old. Yeah, I was super young. I got into like the Coach Go On Demand TV when my mom wasn't around, and like I bought a video for like a dollar 
on it. And it was so extreme and intense that, like, I couldn't even sleep that night. I was having, like, tremors or seizures. Like, I was seeing images in my mind, and it, like, really disturbed me. But I feel like that's probably not so uncommon nowadays. Alan also said that when you're sexually abused, okay, that's not really, like, abuse. That's, like, psychological abuse. But you've done it to yourself. Mm -hmm. It kind of retards your brain, brain development, too. And I'm sure that's one of the things that's happening to a lot of young people now. Well, they always do, you know, new studies. First of all, when they introduced this whole world on the Internet, of course, it was just fine. There were no... And as people became increasingly addicted to uh, more extreme forms of it, then they did studies, which, again, it's research, so these studies would have been done many, many years ago, so they're just bringing them out for the public to show that, you know, the, the dopamine release and the studies that show that you've got this vanilla sex and that becomes insufficient, so you, you keep upping, the you, know, you just keep increasing the, the, the deviancy or the extremeness of what you're viewing in order for you to get that dopamine release. And the, fa- the family unit, the family bond, the bond between men and women is like very powerful. Like if you read the cutting through books, it's all about male and female. It's all about ones and zeros, the Kabbalah, all that stuff, the Bible, it's all about breeding and whatnot. So like the whole thing kind of centers around that and it's powerful if people can use it to their advantage, but it's, it's also powerful weapons in the hands of dark forces which want to use that to fragment society mm-hmm. and that's what they're doing by fill, fulfilling like a, a legitimate human need with the market forces of the, a, a business world that that profits off of it through companionship models online mm-hmm. okay so recently you 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 told me about a, a webcam service that was based in uh, Kazakhstan? Is that correct? Or was it somewhere else? Yeah, it's a, there's one in, yeah, Kazakhstan. They, they have these little studios that pop up all over the place and they pick girls up and they give them a room there and they have to work there. Right. You take a cut. There's a, a big, ra- yeah, there's a rather infamous internet personality right now who's been arrested for running one of these sites in Romania. And um, yeah. you, you and I have talked about Sin Cities before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the documentary. So what, what you'll have in these countries is extreme poverty and um, not many chances for anyone, male or female, to make a, a living. And so they're easy prey for these kinds of, of businesses and yet, so you, you told me about this experience that had happened. It was kind of an ongoing struggle where you pay a certain amount, you're limited, you're given a limit, and then all of a sudden you had literally a nearly $100,000 worth of credits dropped into your account. Um, I believe it was... Wow. A- and, and when you spend them, you get even more credit. So it was almost about 200 if you if you spent it all, yeah. Right. 
and I took the bait. Mm-hmm. And I probably shouldn't have. I probably should have stepped away at that point and just said, forget this. This is some dark stuff, and I don't want any part of it. And I almost did, but I was just, I was at a very vulnerable moment. And it was, it was like right around Christmas too, like Christmas morning, boom, hundred something thousand falls from the sky. And you're like, holy crap, this is a really cool opportunity. (laughs) I'm going to use all of this and have fun and spend it on this girl who I like and impress her and teach her all kinds of things and try and help her and stuff. And this is where we spend time together. We've talked about, uh, I'm just going to call it, you know, kind of an ongoing issue, an ongoing struggle because you recognize that this is a, a, a very risky way to try to have a relationship with someone. It is also, it has brought up, um, a lot of psychological, uh, just, just damage and impact to the psyche that you're wrestling with. And, and I had a very different perception of what was going on and what you were struggling with. And I said some time back, I'm, I'm very concerned about the way these businesses work and the fact that you're, you'll be strung along, strung along. Uh, you can lose a lot of money. The addiction gets deeper and deeper, but I still had in my mind a concept. And I, this is not something that I wanted to research or think about or have in my head in any way. But I, I did just have an image in my mind that this was traditional pornography, kind of sleazy looking women, just exactly what you'd expect them to be with their collagen lips and two large breasts and just this unnatural, bizarro world. And what you began to tell me about was really, um, it was about filling a void of a relationship. First of all, when I saw the women that you were interacting with, I saw the most fresh scrubbed, innocent looking young girls. And I'm sure that you see this is by design. It was at that point that I became even more concerned for you. And I voiced this to you because it's like this experience. This is the metaverse. This is an experience that's tailor made for you of a, a sweet young girl, young woman, because they are women. They're in their twenties, we think. Mm -hmm. And what you were doing was talking to them about Solzhenitsyn and George Orwell I, it's this is a hard thing to convey to a listener, but what you had tried to do was have a relationship. Yeah, because like at that time, the options there just seemed better than anything around me. Because what's around you is nothing. I mean, there were no like I guess the reason I said Alan would be disappointed in me or or somebody like my father would probably be terribly disappointed was because 
I should be doing something better. Like, if, if there's no group of people to organize yourself with or, or dances to go to or places to meet people and, and have these intellectual and social normal interactions, then make one. Do something else. Get around it. Go over and above, beyond, but you have to get around the obstacles, the, the easy way out, which is just given to you and thrown at you and and given to you with hundreds of thoughts, you know? Like, it's just, uh, Alan was saying, they're giving out free porn, right? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, it's sort of the truth. They were, they were trying to trap you or trap me into a, into a virtual world. And to a large degree, it, it was successful. I mean, and sex was the entry point to make it intriguing and enticing for a young guy to go into. Um, and once you're into it, your hooks, the hooks are in and, uh, your brain chemistry changes and it becomes normalized in your life. And then you get guys like Jordan, or I don't know if I can say his name, mm-hmm. right. but psychologists All right. coming okay. online and, tell, and telling you what you're, you're such a bad person and you know, you, you need to go and do normal things again and are you having sex again and, and, and doing all the regular things and back into society like a good working worker bee. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you feel ashamed and you can't talk about it and and it's just a deep dark thing that's in your in your closet, sort of, um, which which keeps people fragmented and unable to get together and bond and have normal relationships and do things like play in a band and play music and and do real stuff like that, like cool things. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's all kind of trapped into a virtual thing. And this is what. Like, this is what you described to me, a world in these little rooms and a very pretty, fresh-faced girl in a modest, bright pink tracksuit with balloons all around her and a little Disney, right? Eagerly gobbling up everything that you're telling her and showing her, and you yep. could watch movies with her, like, oh, what a lovely war. Yeah. And uh, I even watched Cheka with one of them because you spoke uh, Russian the Czechist? And I was like, the Czechist, yes. And I was like, look at this. Like, this is horrible. We can never let this happen again. And, like, it would be intellectual things like that. Um, sorry, I'm off track. Well, you, you're you bonding with them. You, yeah. In a very, very strange... This is Brave New World. I mean, this is what I realize when we're talking is this world that we've been warned was coming a world in which people, you know, there's no bonding between men and women and the babies are uh, made in laboratories and there's no natural breeding anymore. And you're supposed to uh, have sex with a different partner every night. You're not supposed to bond with, uh, with one. And this was the interesting part of the story that you told me you had all these, you know, nearly $200,000 worth of credits all in, dropped in your lap. And what you ended up doing was finding a way to route these credits to one of these girls outside of the system that she was in. And that's a big no-no. Yeah, so I guess the experiment ended at that point and they shut it off and said, okay, forget it. Mm-hmm. So. 
they pulled the plug on my account and everything. But it was an experiment. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't by accident, just based on what we were saying. And I know that now that those streams are definitely monitored by of course. the site and other forces, other yeah. people, other agencies, of course. Because, I mean, it's sexual blackmail on, on people with that level of disposable income. Hell yeah, that's, that's interesting stuff for all kinds of people to find out. Uh, further, Anyways. you know, there were very chilling things. I mean, you, you talked about a connection again. It's the, it, it was supposedly, if we believe the script that plays in the metaverse that you've entered, then it was this girl's birthday and there's birthday cake and, and balloons and they, it, it the, you don't get disconnected at the time the money runs out. And there are the two of you, you're, in a, a a state now that feels hellish to you. Yeah. Yeah, like after that, I mean, it was all good, and then it just transformed. It felt like Clockwork Orange when Alex was watching the movies, and it just turned into, like, I'm trapped here. This is torture. This is torment, and I, and I don't feel like I'm in control anymore. Like, I'm definitely being watched, and I feel like I have to do this. Uh, but and further... Well, I just wanted to mention too, you, you mentioned to me that not long after, um, this, you were rethinking the situation and you were uh, applying your mind to, in a different direction, trying to, you know, clean it out, so to speak. You had something pop up on a feed that has the the name of one of these young women that you were interacting with. And I'll just say the woman, because at this point you've said, no, all of this, you know, the brave new world, a different partner every day. No, I like this girl. And of course it may be part of the metaverse experiment, but it isn't something that you were encouraged to do, right? And that adds to your paranoia because, oh, well, that's the name of the person that I've been talking to. How did yeah, this, how did this pop up in my feed? Bizarre things like that, which are way too coincidental and, you know, like, yeah. So, I mean, it's just more evidence that you are being monitored in, in some way. And it was an experiment. It's brave new world, right? Like, cause, like, I was kind of into Carl Jung at the time, quite into it. And how you, the difference, the distinguishing um, thing where you can have mental experiences in your own mind, which can't be proven in any other way. The sea of unconscious thought, right? And I, I was sort of getting into that. And I was like, wow, maybe I can actually do psychological research in this and write off these this money that I'm spending is for tax credits and stuff. <laughs> And that sort of thing, a scientific research and development costs. Um, but I was, uh, yeah. The system, the way it is now, once you're into it and you get sucked in, it's just another control form. The, the people who own it, their mob bosses and that, are really lame and mean and cruel. And they don't care about you at all, but they're very cunning and they're good at controlling people and they'll take the best and the brightest and suck them in and take everything from them and use them to get what they want, which is the data now. That's all that matters. It's not really more about money. It's more about information. 
but they can use to tailor make these experiences and uh, suck more people in. And when I got those, that money dropped on my lap, I, f I felt like this is like the death nail of humanity now, because if I take this bait and use it, like the amount of data and everything that's, you know, personal biological data and like how, how they track the spending in that, um, it would be very interesting for, for an artificial intelligence, uh, matrix if they're going to use that on younger generations. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I feel like I was a sellout. Alan Watt never sold out. He never compromised. He never bowed to social pressure. Well, how do you, how do you feel now and, and what are you doing? I mean, you've told me that you, you've made changes and you, you certainly seem your head is kind of back together in a way as to when we were first talking some years yeah. back. So it's. Yeah, we're back to square one, I guess. I still have, uh, the girl that the I'm working girl. towards. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we'll be able to break out of this sort of virtual thing and, and meet one day and. So you have this image that you're, you can actually put a human hand right through the screen of the metaverse and and pull out and, extract yeah. break through it and just say like once and for all what's real and what's not and what have you learned about her world along the way of trying to extract her it's a very small world that uh, she comes from a place which is like a police state um and it's coming here fast, mm -hmm. the same exact government presence and surveillance, if we allow it. Does she have so any like awareness of of what is happening? Of uh, does she have any awareness of the the choices that she has made and how this plays into a system that's dark and huge? Yeah. But in a way, she's about five years younger than me. Uh -huh. And the technological aspects of it are more integrated. They're more normalized in her world. Right. Especially because she has to do that for an income. So in a way, it's almost like positioning to adapt for what, what is to come. Just to have that, that, um, to have her intellectual property as well, like her, to have her mindset and be able to, to sort of get inside and use that, to try and use that as, a, as an advantage in, um, figuring out ways to combat this. Mm -hmm. I guess the ultimate way would just be to shut it off and turn it off and go your own way, which might be the only solution, like the Unabomber, right? Now, in that documentary, he said there is no comprom there is no way to compromise with this technological system that's coming. Right. But the reality is, is that we all have to live with it and learn to live with it. And it's like, well, at an age where you're so young, like myself, you're a young guy. You have your whole life ahead of you. This is sort of like the time my dad would probably say to not get 
tied in, sucked in, or tied down to anything and just work on yourself so that you can save up and it's like delayed gratification for for later. But I've sort of taken the opposite approach and, and how I want to try and invest what I've got right now, my energy and time and money into something, uh, which is for myself like a personal journey to seek truth. I'm not trying to justify myself but or say that it's right, but Alan talks a lot about men and women and how they've been pitted against each other and how it's designed to fail. And I just want to, I want to try and reconcile that and find a way to make it work. Using all of that knowledge, is it possible to try and make something work? Is it possible to bridge the gap between the virtual and the physical and, and to sort of get rid of the, the intermediary and just find a way to, to live, you know? Well, you're, you know, it's when you speak with someone who is much older than you are, you know, I remember, I'm sure you do too, how many times Alan said, well, if I wasn't doing these talks, if I wasn't doing this, then I would just take the computers and toss them out the window, smash them with a sledgehammer or whatever. I wouldn't be in that world. Or, I, you know, you're talking to me and I could say, Oh, Joe, you know, get out of there. You know, don't, don't be on the internet at all. I mean, uh, in other words, I'm not sure that there is a bridge at all. I, I, I would say the inclination to throw the computer out the window or smash it with a, a sledgehammer is the, the solution because what you're fighting when you try to put your hand through the screen and pull somebody out or merge the virtual and the physical, you're fighting a system that has neuroscientists and linguists and, you know, it's, it's studying the chemistry of your brain. And like you said, you're giving them data to help them study that, but they have total control down to, a fine art. I mean, it's, these are high, high sciences. Yeah. But at the same time, the computer can be such a good thing for people like my dad, who's disabled. He can't go out there and walk around and travel, but he can do so virtually and he can use it as a tool, really, if you know what to look for to, to actually better yourself. Like that's how we learned and, and crafted our sourdough skills and experience because that, all that stuff is online and it is real information mm-hmm. and you can build real skills you can get an education online like through the cutting through the matrix sites yeah i so i guess what stuff. you're you know what you're talking about is uh, you know it's a lot of discipline a lot of self-control but when they're into those sen- see sex is primal it's, it's, it's primal and it's, I always think about the, um, those who were into the occult that were 
teased with over the years, say an Aleister Crowley or whatever, you know, they, they had such respect and reverence for the power of the sex act that they tried to ritualize it for their own ends. And there's a lot of that online too with these cam sites because it's, uh, it's, um, it draws young guys in who are curious. It's a natural thing for them to want to, to get into that and have that power. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who are seeking power or seeking something, there's a lot of mysticism behind it that's marketed and sold to you mm-hmm. as well. But I mean, it's risky and difficult getting in, involved with a, a relationship to begin with, but to do so virtually and online, is, it poses a whole new set of problems. Um, but that's just the way things seem to be going for a lot of young guys with a lot of disposable income, like Silicon Valley tech engineers and that. They mm-hmm. talk about this stuff n- normally. Mm-hmm. Or they'll Venmo their date or whatever, um, and they just pay for it mm-hmm. because they'd rather not have the human element. They'd rather be more transactional, and they know what they're getting involved in. They know the extent of uh, their liability that... I guess, mm-hmm. and they hedge their their risk by just not wanting to have a, a real human aspect or an element to it. Right. And we're seeing that all over society with the automatic toilets going in, like in St. Catharines, where you're here <clears throat> uh, in the little town I live nearby. They're building an automatic toilet, self-cleaning toilet, and it's like they're locating it centrally, and it's a big special thing like a monument almost <laughs> bureaucrats love their toilets and you know it just cuts out the human aspect you can't yeah oh. what a what a world and this is this is so that that no human hand has to actually clean the toilet it's just it's automatically cleans itself after you leave yeah and uh Bill 23, I think they just passed, and it's like it's the end of home ownership basically because they're saying any homeowner can build as much as they want on their land and, and rent it out to as many people as they want. Mm-hmm. So, like, no home, no person who owns a house in their right mind would want to live next to a development like that, right? Right. Where it's just masses of people flooding into the city and, uh, and they're lifelong renters and they have no conception of responsibility or home ownership so who would want to own a home like that you talk about Uh, some of the other things that drive people um i mean even your father has had some issues with neighbors but you talk about things that that drive uh, people into their home you know people who just want to be left alone to live in their home to grow their garden and have a little bit of peace um then you're they're they're actually flooding your area with heroin addicts and then they have just stacks of uh i guess what do they call it safe shooting where you can shoot up heroin yeah yeah safe shooting sites needles everywhere all over the parks now Mm -hmm. when i was a kid that they didn't there wasn't any of that Mm -hmm. we hung out on the streets and it was safe Mm -hmm. nowadays you're worried one guy i even work with got jumped downtown and they beat him up that never happened before, mm-hmm. really. I mean, or somebody would stick up for him at least. <laughs> I don't know. 
You said that I'm, you're you're a father, and at one point when you were really low through the lockdown, was giving you some things to kind of cheer you up and pick you up, and he had recommended that you listen to um, Simon and Garfunkel's "Bridge Over Troubled Water," and you said it really did pick up my spirits. And then I learned that the song was about shooting a heroin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I didn't know that at the time. I've learned it now, like a year later. But yeah. And that was at a time when I really felt low from just the psychological impact of that the, the online world that I was getting into. Mm-hmm. But I really latched onto that song for some reason at the time. Now I find out why. And you haven't... You don't discuss this with your father. It's too... It's too personal, I've, and I've always put on a face, a mask. But that do, I, do you I see the do you see the irony of it? Is that you talk to me? We're recording this, and you're going to share this with, you know, a few hundred people who will listen to it. But you can't talk to your dad about it. I'm not suggesting that you do. I'm, I'm just. In other words, I, what I'm gently saying is. As we get, as they've accustomed us to the idea that privacy is not a good thing and that your life is to be lived in a virtual world or a metaverse, there, we can see how they position people to be more willing to share their private world with strangers, but not with friends and family who are close. In other words... That's safe, but the family isn't safe, all by design, naturally. Yeah, and I mean, it's in movies, too, like in Heartland, uh, how the sons wanted to get into, like, the loans with the bank, and they didn't tell their Mm -hmm. dad, really, or, or, you know, or even there was a poem at the end of one of the cutting through books where a son gets into a trivial amount of debt, and all of a sudden the, the banks collapse and they call the loans and the father has to sell his land because of it. Mm-hmm. But the son never told the father or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess it's a natural, it's a thing that it's a, there's nothing new under the sun then. Mm-hmm. And now we just have a virtual world to sort of absorb that impact and, and bring in the next fourth IR. Right. I mentioned a a movie to you. It was a Canadian film director from, I think, the early 80s, 83. Yeah, it's like a 40-year-old movie now, Cronenberg, and he's a real freak. But uh, the movie was called Videodrome, and you had not heard of it. And it was a movie that Alan showed me with a little bit of a a warning label on it. I, I... We'll always want to be careful about the visual imagery that I let in my head or the, the you know the mind has no firewall kind of concept and he said well this is a a good one let's watch it and it was about um a conspiracy to put an area under a large area but a, a, an area under mind control by using extreme pornography and in this case it had gone once they hooked you in it had gone to uh, a snuff films and um there were there was a whole process along the way of how it got into your mind and began to take you over 
But when the kind of the head of the cabal that was doing this found out that a station chief, you know, he was a CEO of a local television station, had begun to watch this and become addicted to it, and he was falling apart, the the big boss came in and said, you know, we put this out there for other people to get addicted to. That's part of the plan. But we don't actually ever watch this. And I don't remember a lot of the, the plot points or who the actors were or, you know, much of it. But that that little bit of dialogue really struck me because, you know, that's 40 years ago. They obviously knew exactly what they were doing and the effect yeah. that it would have. Marshall McLuhan, the global village. Yeah. It's all here. It's perfected science. They had it perfected 40 years ago and were telling us in the movies now they're just doing it. Yeah. And uh, to unsuspecting people, even who are primed with good information and who are aware of truth and that, you know, you can get sucked into it so easily. Mm-hmm. Because there's dark forces at work here. Oh, yeah. And you're meant to fall into the traps. I mean, make somebody work 80 hours a week and leave them alone in their basement for three years and... What do you think is going to happen mm-hmm. with with the internet? They're on the computer the whole time for their job. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we're um, probably want to sign off for this conversation. Okay. But I I wanted to mention that where you've sent me in the past some pictures of some really great things that you've baked with your dad and. And the garden, and uh, I, I don't like the idea of voyeurism, and I, uh, but I do like the idea of sharing personal history, and I'm not really afraid, per se, of where that history will will take us because this is real. You, you, you know, you're a real person that I talk to, and these are your stories and your struggles, and you've sent me some cool music in the past and you said that you'd send me a, a little package of media later on tonight, some some songs, some photographs. And so I'm looking forward to getting that and we'll compile something that I can share with people to get a glimpse in because I, I think that I'm hoping that all of these conversations and the, and the conversation that we're just wrapping up, give that these give people true insight into how other people's lives really are and their struggles and their hopes and the ways in which the agenda have affected them and what they try to do to survive in a scientific dictatorship. I really appreciate you being honest. I didn't know exactly where this conversation was going to go today. And 
I always like talking to you, Joe, and I I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been real. So <laughs> I, I appreciate talking with you, too, and being on, and, uh, and hopefully it helps somebody, even if it helps one person, right? <laughs> uh, well, I, that's, I mean, that is kind of it. I was speaking with somebody recently and uh, about about Alan's work, uh, about these podcasts, and I said, look, you know, Alan was never going for huge numbers of people. He never thought that there was going to be a tipping point when the masses would just say, oh, okay, well, we messed up there, let's go a different direction, but that it would be individuals who struggle and who overcome and who learn to say no or make deep changes in their own lives. And life is a learning process. And yeah. you, I, I believe that you have just helped, you've just helped me learn something. So I believe there's something in it for another yeah. listener. Yeah. When you're young, you're dumb, you want to lash out. But the more you fight back, you're striking in the dark and you say, hey, I need to change strategy. I need to reevaluate and find different ways to fight this because, um, yeah, all your energy is just going to get absorbed by the enemy and turned against you. Mm-hmm. And, and we can't let a video drone future happen where it turns into straight up necrophilia, like Adorno said, right? right? We have to look for different ways to make a more humane system, a more humane way of doing things for everybody. Well, thank you again, Joe. And we will, we'll, t- I, I know you and I'll talk often again, uh, or again, more. We'll talk more off the air in the future, and it's always a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Melissa. Father